What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of X Knows All. I'm so, so excited you guys are here today. Today's going to be incredibly different, but really fun. I know historically this show focuses primarily on celebrity pop culture, their upbringing, how they got into the business, any salacious stories or scandal or gossip surrounding that celebrity and their adjacent people. Do I have any personal experiences with a celebrity or what was my, you know, relationship with this particular celebrity growing up and today? But today's show is going to be a complete veer off from that in the best way possible. I think that if you take into account true crime, conspiracy theories, and pop culture, they all have an intersection of interest. And I'd be willing to bet that if you listen to a pop culture podcast, you likely have an interest albeit it could be a more surface level interest in conspiracy theories such as the one we're covering today. We are discussing the biggest flight aviation mystery known to man. We are talking about Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. The plane went, the plane completely vanished in 2014 on its flight path from uh, Kuala Lumpur to Beijing mysteriously in March 2014. The plane and none of its passengers or crew were ever to be found again. And it's still a mystery even to this day as we're recording on January 14th, 2023. I am so excited too because not only am I covering this episode and just the facts and research that I was able to review prior to recording, but I'm recording with the one and only Shannon of Fluently Forward. She's a friend of the pod. She's been on the podcast before. We did an episode on Jennifer Lawrence, so please go and check that out. It's in the archives of my show. I've also been on her show as well to discuss the Shia LaBeouf of it all and we kind of get a bit mushy gushy towards the end of the episode I'm just so thankful for Shannon she was kind of the reason I was able to have a following at the beginning of this I attribute a lot of my listeners to people that have heard me on her show and I've just seen her podcast grow so incredibly over the past year and she's such a supporter to everyone in the space and I think more importantly, you know, this space can be, it's intimidating almost to walk into a group of people that seemingly know so much and are so good at TikTok and have such such successful podcasts. And it feels really amazing to be included in a part of the conversation. And I do want to say up top, this episode does kind of take a bunch of left turns in, again, the best way possible. We do have a lot of discussion on specific true crime stories, including John Bene Ramsey and Maura Murray. I do want to admit that when I was conversing with Shannon about the Maura Murray case in particular, I definitely said a few things off the cuff that are more likely than not, like actually exactly, exactly what happened. I think my train of thought was on the right track, but I may have said something that was not completely factually accurate. So if you do catch me saying something that you're like, wait, that's not true, then completely admit it probably isn't true I didn't do a huge amount of research I didn't do any research on the Maura Murray episode before we hit record because I wasn't prepared to even speak about it but we were just discussing kind of in the context of missing people or unsolved mysteries this Malaysian Airlines flight very much falls into play with that so I wanted to just discuss that up top as a disclaimer I don't you know I don't expect to be a fact-based researcher when it comes to cases that I'm not specifically covering on the podcast, but I do appreciate everyone listening ear as we go into the episode. I really hope you guys enjoy this one. Please let me know what you think in the comments um, on my Instagram. I'm going to show a few slide by slide, ugh, side by side photos of what we discuss in today's episode 
as always, if you're new here, I always plug my Instagram up top. Please shoot me a follow at X knows all. It's just X, the, the letter knows all one word. I promise to God I'm so funny on it. I engage with every single person, respond to every single DM, respond to every single comment. I do a lot of interactive polls because I'm a nutcase and it's just a shit ton of fun. So I am really excited for you guys to listen to this episode. At the end, I'm going to shout out my five-star reviewers. Thank you so much for supporting the show and giving me a five-star review. It means more than you know to the in the world to me. I do the show completely for free. I get zero revenue from this. In fact, I think I probably I do lose money on it because of the equipment that I've invested in my time. I'm in like a net negative a net margin right now, net negative margin. But I appreciate a listening ear and reviews and five star reviews are the currency of the show. So without further ado, let's get right into the episode. And we are back with a very special guest. This guest needs no introduction. She has over 370,000 followers on TikTok. She's quite literally the trailblazer in the world of blind items in a post-2020 world. She's been featured on huge publications like GQ, has a huge podcast following, and I know most of you found me via her show, Fluently Forward, focuses on celebrity gossip, blind items, conspiracy theories, all the gray in between. Please welcome back to the show, Shannon McNamara. How are you? Hi. You can hear me, right? I can. Okay. Okay. Great. Thanks for that introduction. Very sweet of you to say that. I consider myself more of like a barnacle who rips other people's content online and then tries to make weird little theories about them. But you calling me a trailblazer. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Don't believe what you read on the internet, you guys. <laughs> but um, I'm very excited to have you back on the show. What I So basically what I was telling you before before the show began was I was listening to an episode of My Favorite Murder on the Malaysian Airlines episode. And I was like, you know what? I think I want to do an episode on this flight vanishing because it's so interesting. But I obviously we hear the headlines, but I didn't know too much about it. And I posted that on my Instagram stories. And someone was like, I think you should bring Shannon on for this episode because she is just the right person. You cover a lot of conspiracy theories on your show. And so happy you're here to join me today. I wanted to know before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the episode, what did you know prior to me having you like watch a couple YouTube videos online um, before I assigned you the homework? What did you know about the Malaysian Airlines flight? I I would say a pretty good amount, maybe like a 201 level amount. I've just always been – the minute it happened, which I think it was back in 2014, right? Everybody was interested in what was happening. So I've definitely consumed some content about it, enough to know of like the theories of what was going on with the pilots and was it maybe a government cover-up and kind of where it landed in the ocean. And then when we did our episode over on Fluently Forward about the TV show Lost, I kind of started researching more stuff about the flight because I just found it so crazy that there was literally a TV show made about a disappearing flight and nobody knows where it went. And like this actually literally happened in true life. So I mean, life is stranger than fiction. That's why I love these conspiracy theories. I didn't even think about the Lost parallel. I know that you were a fan of the show because I I did see that you had released an episode for the Lost show. And I remember in college, everyone was obsessed with that show. And that was like pre-streaming services. But that was when like there was true daytime television where you had to wait until the next week for the episode to drop. And there was so much like hoopla around the show. So that's a really good parallel. I wonder if – well, I guess that show was produced prior to – 2014 when this actually this vanishing of Malaysian Airlines flight 370 actually occurred so my question to you was 
what were your, I guess, like, before we dive into like the true, all these different conspiracy theories that happened, what were your initial theories? What did you think like happened? I guess like at a very high level, what were you like? I'm pretty sure it's reasonable to assume that this happened and have your thoughts changed since, you know, you've done a little bit of research on your own for this episode. Yeah, I think a lot of people thought that it was a pilot suicide or something that the pilots had done. And it's almost like there's two levels to the conspiracy theory, because the first is before this flight crashed, allegedly like crashed and disappeared, it went off course. So the first part of the theory is why did it go off course? Was there meaning to all of the turns that it was taking? Was it done by the pilots? Was it autopilot? Was it hacked? Uh, What was happening basically within that plane? And then the second part of the theory is, like, where the hell is the plane? Why haven't we been able to find it? Did it land somewhere? Where did it land? Did it just crash because it ran out of fuel? Or was it purposely nosedived into the water? So there's a lot of different areas to it there. And I don't know, like, I've also done a conspiracy theory episode on the ocean and how we don't know that much about it. And that's another thing that confounds me that in today's day and age, there's so many things that you can do with technology. And they've spent, what was it, like $155 million? Million dollars, yes, yes. I can't even understand that, that, that amount of money. Yeah. Yeah. It's insane. And then there have been like individual investigations too, which like we only had three Americans on the plane, but you know us, good old USA. They were like, no, we're going to try to find this plane because I don't think you guys did a good enough job of it. So people have searched far and wide and like a plane is not a, I don't, I I know the ocean is big, but a plane is pretty big too. And I just find it crazy that nobody knows where it is. Yeah, and to date, so we're recording this on January 14th, 2023, so almost a decade next year from when this occurred, and they still haven't recovered the plane or any passengers on the plane. And there has been a few washes of debris that were found on, I think, uh, one of the coastlines, but to date, they haven't been able to actually find, like, other than, like, parts of the wing um, where this plane is. So it, it truly feels like it vanished out of out of thin air. But aren't you suspicious, too, about the wing? Because I'm like, how could you find a part of the wing, but you can't find any other fucking piece of the plane? Like, come on now. Yes, because in the video that I had you watch, they t- discussed how there was, like, a very specific part of the of the wing that was found. And it was, like, a little just tiny sheath like a little particle yeah. of the entire huge wing. But it's like, if you can find one ounce of debris, then where the hell is the other? Where are the seats? Where's the luggage? Where's this? Where's that? It's so, like you said, it's confounding. And it's it's incredible that they did such a wide, a vast and wide search of the ocean. I think they said in that video that we watched, and I'll link the video in the show notes, that they did a search that spanned, I think, the entire country of India. Like it wasn't just a specific area where they believed the plane to have potentially nosedived into the Indian Ocean. It was a vast and wide area in which they did a search. And they spent, to Shannon's earlier point, $155 million. They had artificial intelligence. They had countries from like, uh, you know, advisors from countries bringing their teams in. There was like various countries investigating this and no one could find anything. And there's even crazy theories that we'll get into in a bit bit in the show of could it have been sucked into a black hole? could aliens have abducted (laughs) do you think that there's any weight maybe in those in what people claim to be crazy crazy theories like the aliens or the black hole you know what weirdly enough like i just don't think 
Oh, God, it's such a hard one because I'm like, I don't think it's aliens and I don't think it's a black hole. I do like I think and some of these conspiracy theories like I'm a little bit nuts. OK, I just go off of my gut feeling. I think it it's on Earth like it's in our atmosphere. I don't know if it's a lost type of situation where it's on an island nobody knows about or it landed somewhere. And that's the thing. Like, we don't know for sure if it landed in the ocean. People just think that it did. But when you have a plane that's not responding to transmissions and satellite just kind of imagines that it landed somewhere, there are a lot of random, I don't know if you heard about this theory. I forget the name of it, but there's a lot of random islands in those oceans. You have the Maldives. You also have- yeah. That the Bermuda British, Triangle, right? Well, that's more in the Bahamas area. Um, okay. yeah. But like in that Indian Ocean, it's a British island that has like government military stuff on it. And the US, I think it's like, it's got like a Spanish sounding name, like Del Amigo or something. Let me look it up real quick. But um, some people think it could have landed there. Malaysian airline. And it could have, like, are they saying they could have landed there and like they're still living on the island potentially? Like a lost or like it was shot down or like people hacked um hacked like the automatic flight system to make it land there so then that way they could capture one of like the important passengers online and then execute the rest i mean there's all of these crazy theories right right um well let's dive into like what by the way diego garcia that's the name of it diego garcia Uh, do we know if there's any inhabitants on diego garcia island I mean, it's a it's a military island owned by the UK, but they say that like it's owned by the UK, but like the US basically owns it on the low, allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> well, let's let's get into the facts. That is known to be the greatest mystery in avian aviation history. So, for those of you that are completely unfamiliar, this is just kind of like a one on one for Malaysian Airlines Flight Three Seventy. So on March eighth, twenty fourteen. The flight carrying 227 passengers and 12 crew members loses contact with air traffic control less than an hour after taking off from Kuala Lumpur. Most of the plane and everyone on board are never seen again. When I mean everyone on board was never seen again and most of the plane was never seen again. It's as if it vanished out of thin air. So who was on the flight? Who were the captains, the co-pilots? So the captain was 53-year-old Zahari Ahmed Shah, who had over 18,000 hours of flight time experience. He was a very experienced pilot. He was known to even have a flight simulator in his basement or like in his home where he would practice different flight paths. And he was kind of like an aviation nerd of some sorts. Uh, His co-pilot was 27-year-old Farik Abdul Hamid. He had 2,700 hours of flight experience. All 12 crew members were of Malaysian descent. Of the 227 passengers, there were 153 Chinese citizens, including a group of 19 artists with six family members and four staff returning from a calligraphy exhibition of their work in Malaysia. 38 passengers were Malaysian. The remaining passengers were from various different countries, including the Netherlands, U.S., Russia, Ukraine, and France. And it's worth pointing out as well that the plane was set to depart from Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, and it was supposed to go around, if you were to look on a map, the direction... It's about like northeast. Like I would say if you're looking at a clock, maybe it's at the two o'clock mark. It was about a five and a half hour flight from Kuala Lumpur to Beijing. Uh, The flight departed at 1241 a.m. It was scheduled to arrive in Beijing at 630 a.m. And about 30 minutes after takeoff at 107, the aircraft's last official automated position report was sent. 
Which, by the way, can I say something real quick? Yeah, no, interrupt, please. I didn't even realize this until you said it, but the fact that it departed at basically 1 a.m. and was supposed to land at 6 a.m., for some reason, I always imagined this flight happening during the day and the fact that all this shit is going down while it's pitch black and, like, you crash into the ocean and it's, like, pitch black. Like, oh, my God, that's, like... I saw this thing on TikTok. I, we might, you might have seen it too. I feel like for you pages, like you know, they target everyone. Yeah, and it was a reenactment of how the Titanic actually happened. And basically, when the Titanic sunk, there, when we watch the movie, it's like all lit up and you can see it. No, like that should happen in the pitch black. Like you don't know what's coming at you. All of a sudden, it's icy. You know, the lights aren't working anymore when the ship splits in half. So all of these traumatic events, we watch reenactments of them, and there's like a sun and two clouds in the sky. Like, no, this is happening in pitch black. That is such a good point. And I, for some reason, I also had that same kind of assumption as well before I dug yeah. into the research of, oh no, it was like, you know, a nice sunny day. They left it around yeah. noon. They were set to arrive in the evening, right before dinner. But like, exactly. Yes. It was the like pitch black of night. And it's not like they're making any kind of transatlantic flight where maybe they could have gone into like more daylight hours. No, like it was in the same, I assume relatively t- same time zone. That is creepy as fuck. And I never even thought about that from a Titanic perspective because it's like, I have a via like a very visceral kind of memory of just like well that's like one of my favorite movies but like when the the ship is nose diving just vertically all the way down and kind of just going down 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 and Jack and Rose are at the top and he's like on the count of three you know hold your breath one two three and it's like the lights are still on in the ship and it's just yes. like nose diving straight for but all the but all the lights are just illuminated perfectly and then everyone on the lifeboats are watching the disaster from afar but it's like could they have even seen that. And the moon, too, is, like, so bright that, like, it happens to shine on, like, the ocean out. It's like, what? Yeah. Like, the moon's never that bright. But yeah. it's just creepy. It's It makes it that much more creepier. Um, so just a little, a little over 10 minutes later after the aircraft's last official automated position report had been sent, uh, just 37 minutes after the plane had taken off from Malaysia, the final voice transmission from the cockpit of the flight was relayed to air traffic controllers quoted to say, good night, Malaysian 370, as the plane departed Malaysian airspace into Vietnamese airspace. So people have a lot of thoughts on this last kind of true, like, it's kind of like a voice from the dead, almost, of the good night, Malaysian Airlines, Malaysian 370. So they were saying, if the plane had in fact you know if we were to rely on the theory that the plane had been hijacked like you know a la 9-11 of some sorts though it's clear to anyone that's on the receiving end of that voice transmission the good night signifies that the co-pilot and pilot were not under duress so what are your initial thoughts to like just me saying all this oh i didn't know is that like a thing mm-hmm. uh in aviation that good night means like all's good Yes. Like, and they think that I don't, I don't know if that's like an actual official signifier that everything is fine. I think it's more of just like, well, clearly if they were in distress, like they would just be like, maybe if like a gun was pointed to their head to say, you know, tell them that we're fine. They would just be like Malaysian 370 signing off or whatever. But like the good night seemed a bit more like they were in a relaxed, fine environment. Wait, so that's confirmed that like you say good night to no, me. No, I, I, oh. I, I don't think. No, it's not. But I think people were oh, just saying okay. like, well, that that to me doesn't signify that they're they're under duress. Gotcha. I thought because I've heard, and this could be fictional, it's from a TV show I watched that with um, sex workers when you're you know, about to, you know, you meet the guy and whatever's about to happen, you call to check in with your madame in the TV show and you would say, yep, everything's okay. 
But if you didn't say, okay, you said everything's fine or everything's good, that was the sign that like, hey, this guy's crazy. You have to come get me. Anyway, so I, I'm just always fascinated by linguistic turns of phrase like that. Um, I thought, because I, I think I was watching another video where they basically said that was just protocol where you say mm-hmm. good night, blah, blah, blah. And I think something that they were puzzled over is that typically they were supposed to phone in and say good night one more time. Like there was one transmission mm. that was missing the pilot responding final. Um, I don't know. Like, I don't think I could read too much into it. I'd love to like hound a pilot about pilot. this and see what they think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like, we're probably not the best people to like say whether or not this is actually a reasonable <laughs> assumption because like, we'll we don't it. know the, yeah, like we don't know the, the flight, you know, you know, whatever the sayings and so to speak. But if you're a pilot or you know someone who's a pilot, I'd be very interested to hear your take on this last voice transmission that the Malaysian, I guess, airspace conductor people on the ground thought of that because people are just like okay I think people I think the way that like conspiracy theories work too is like you kind of want to it's like that confirmation bias like if you think if you don't want to believe that the plane was hijacked you're gonna turn that good night Malaysian Airlines 370 to be like well clearly they weren't under duress like that doesn't that to me shows that they weren't hijacked from a terrorist organization or whatever so like I think it could just be something it's just well, it's also hard to isn't it hard to hijack a plane? I mean, they lock that cockpit door. So I think a lot of hijackings that have happened is done by the other co-pilot. And there have been instances where if one pilot goes to the bathroom, you lock the cockpit door yes. and it's just you in there. Yeah, that that's what a lot of people were saying when I was on Reddit last night that, OK, you know, typically, you know, it's protocol to have the pilot and the co-pilot in the event that the pilot has a heart attack or whatever. But they people were saying, you know, if the theory of the pilot hijacking the plane himself in a murder-suicide type situation, did he perhaps knock the co-pilot out so that he could take full advantage over over the flight? Or maybe, like to your point, had the co-pilot gone to the restroom for about three minutes, he could have modified the autopilot switchboard in the flight so that, you know, under – like such that the co-pilot would have never known that he had made the change. Mm. Um so about an hour after Flight 370 was scheduled to land, so basically they were an hour late, uh, Malaysian Airlines announced that the flight was officially missing. There were no distress signals from the plane or reports of bad weather or technical problems. The transponder had been confirmed to be turned off. And due to nothing out of the ordinary weather conditions, clear skies, this suggests that the transponder was manually turned off. Um, exactly a week later, investigators had more information on the flight path based on satellite transmi- transmission records. Records indicated that Flight 370 had turned sharply off its assigned course and had flown west over the Indian Ocean, operating on its own for five hours or more. So, Shannon, if you look at the outline that I sent you, and after having watched a couple of the videos, I feel like the flight path is often referenced quite quite a bunch of times, just because due to the fact that it, it deviated so far away from what the original flight path was. So can you explain to listeners like where they're going and like what ended up like happening? Yeah. So it's basically, I'm trying to think, would it be so USA centric to try to like map it out within like the United States so people can understand it kind of? Okay. So let's just imagine Malaysia is like the center of the United States. It's like Oklahoma 
and it's supposed to be going up and to the right, just like any good startup, to get to Beijing. And it's supposed to be going into like Chicago territory. But instead, they do that for just like an hour. Yeah. And then they make this weird, wonky, complete almost U-turn where they yes. like are heading back down, almost like they're going to Nevada. And yeah, that's the a good way, way to say that, it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the way that the curve turns is like important because it's much more of a messy curve than the other ones. So then it's like they're going down to Nevada and then they eep, they start going left and upwards, almost like they're going to San Francisco or something. Or maybe yes. not that drastic, maybe L.A. And then they're on that. That's the second turn. Then afterwards, they make a crazy turn where like they're they're going to Argentina, basically. <laughs> and from there on out, they make once again another U-turn. So the first manual wonky turn that they make an hour out of the flight, it has them basically going back across Malaysia. And instead yes. of going northeast to China, they're going in like a southwest direction to the middle of the freaking ocean. Yeah. And like that's what people were saying, like that they were going towards Beijing north and then all of a sudden it's like they just go right back down towards Malaysia and then all the way towards the Indian Ocean to basically the middle of nowhere. There's nothing um, where this Nothing except headed. a British military island. <laughs> what is it? Casa de Amigo or something? Uh, <laughs> Diego de- Garcia. Casa de Amigo. Like what? <laughs> um, love that. So yeah, it just makes it absolutely no sense. Um this had happened, let's see. So this flight had taken off on March 8th, 2014. So about two weeks later on March 24th, Malaysia's prime minister announced the flight was presumed lost. Somewhere in the Indian Ocean, there were no survivors. Um, everyone was presumed to be dead. Three months after the flight had taken off, Australian officials involved in the investigation said that radar records suggested that Flight 370 was likely on autopilot for hours before it ran out of fuel and crashed into the southern Indian Ocean. And what's really important to keep in mind is that from Kuala Lumpur to, and I'm sorry if I'm watching that, Kuala Lumpur, I think it's pronounced, to Beijing, that was about five hours and 34-minute flight, so LA to New York. And the plane, which is a Boeing aircraft 737, it had been operating without any surface malfunctions over the last 11 years prior to 2014. So it was like a well-operated, robust plane. There wasn't any technical issues as far as, you know, Malaysia Airlines or Boeing was aware of. And the plane itself, even though the flight was five and a half hours, they had a little over seven hours of fuel to last them. So it's important to note that, okay, if the direction of the flight did take a path, they had basically two hours max to fly over until it would run out of fuel and and crash. There was a lot of speculation that, and I'm kind of curious because there's a lot of ambiguity to this speculation about potentially like oxygen running out of the plane. So there's a lot of speculation that the crew was likely dead. The crew and the passengers were likely dead before the plane crashed due to oxygen loss within the aircraft. But there was no explanation given as to what might have caused the oxygen deprivation to begin with. And I'm sure you heard those theories too, Shannon, about like how if anything is left to be to make the families feel a bit, I guess, at peace. I don't think the what's speculated is that everyone was essentially passed out on the plane before it presumably crashed. But there's a lot of question and ambiguity as to what could have caused the oxygen loss in the cabin to begin with. And I'm curious if you have any like theories about that do you think that was like a manual job done by the pilot do you think that something may have happened electricity wise like what are your thoughts on that I I wish I could say I knew uh 
electricity and engineering facts. I have heard that there were a lot of lithium batteries that were on the plane, which, you know, when you're packing your Mm. suitcase and they're like, are there any lithium batteries in this? And you just say no, because you're like, well, that's because those are more likely to be flammable, I think. And like in the few cases that there have been fires on planes, something happened with those lithium batteries. So I think that's why they ask people beforehand. Um, So some people were saying that could have happened. But the minute there's an emergency, you know, those oxygen masks pop down from the ceilings and you know what's happening. So the job of the pilot would be to put out a distress signal and tell people what was happening. So it's hard to imagine that like, oh, my God, everyone's passed out. Like you don't pass out right away. You know something's happening. You can press a button. You put on your oxygen mask. I'm sure they have the best stuff for the pilots. Mm-hmm. So to me, it it doesn't seem like that happened. And then also, you know, if they did lose pressure and everybody passed out, why was the transmission manually turned off? And why did that mm-hmm. manual turn happen to go back over Malaysia? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where a lot of these theories kind of all these theories, there's so many of them, right? But I think every kind of theory, there's like a hole. There's a hole in it. And I think to your point, when there's such a, it seems to be very intentional diversion away from where it was supposed to land. And this kind of brings me to the next thought about like, you know, going back to what could have caused the oxygen loss in the cabin. There's all these theories that a a disaster occurred mid-flight. And they're not entirely sure what may have caused that fire. And it's really interesting that you said that about the lithium batteries. Because every time I have my away luggage suitcase, you know, they have yeah. like, the lithium batteries. Do you have any lithium batteries? I'm like, I hope it's not still in there. I thought I took it out, but maybe. <laughs> um, so there's theories that, you know, a fire may have started somewhere on board. And the pilots attempted to turn the plane around back to Malaysia at an attempt at an emergency landing. So they're going, you know. But then that's crazy because, like, they would have buzzed and been like, emergency landing. There's a fire, you know. Exactly, exactly. It's like, well, if there was a a serious distress, yeah, why wasn't um, those on the ground made aware of it? Um, That's a really good point. And based on the analysis of the timing of the satellite communications data, a power interruption mid-flight seems, it does seem it could happen. It's probable. However, it's like, what could have caused a power interruption is still TBD. Some people are saying like, could someone have perhaps manually like shut off the aircraft's electrical system intentionally? Like, again, not a pilot, not familiar with aircrafts at all, but like, People were speculating this online. I feel like so many, like, if anyone works for an airline, whatever, they're going to be like, you're so wrong with what you said on the podcast. They're probably, like, like screaming right now, like, you bitches are getting none of this right. (laughs) Like, you know, I didn't didn't say it was going to be super um, knowledgeable with the the facts I'm presenting. This is all just speculation based on, you know, a marketing and finance degree. So do that (laughs) what you will. But – there was theories that the decompression occurred, therefore leaving the cabin devoid of oxygen. And if the flight had, in fact, run out of oxygen, the theories that those on board were likely passed out before the flight crashed, which I already just mentioned. But I think that there's all these speculations about an electrical outage, but it's like, what could have possibly caused an electrical outage on flights? Like, I don't even know how that's even possible, unless, to your point, there was something that happened on, like, a certain passenger that created distress within the cabin. Like that, the electrical outage doesn't really make sense to me. And if a fire did in fact happen on board and the crew did in fact attempt an emergency landing, and that's why they diverted the plane back to Malaysia, to your point earlier about the way that the, the, the flight path was, they did attempt to go back to Malaysia. And then they did a sharp left towards, you said like San Francisco, they went left all the way to the Indian ocean. So that completely creates a hole, right? 
Yeah, like you said, there's a hole in everything, right? So if it was a problem on board, the hole is that they turned off transmission, they didn't put out a warning, they didn't do an emergency landing, they kept making random turns into the ocean. So that wouldn't have happened. But then the hole in the did the pilot try to suicide everyone on the plane? The hole with that, at least to me, is that if you're going to commit a suicide mission, why would you just let the plane run for five hours straight in one oh. single path across the ocean before it falls into the ocean? You know, that that's not how a suicide mission works. You would crash that into the water. You wouldn't just kick back and say, and now we wait four hours for the fuel to run out. Wait, that's such a good point. I didn't even think about that. I feel as if, especially if someone has who's as savvy as this specific pilot was you know he had logged countless hours he had a flight simulator in his home like I'm sure that if you were in fact attempting to kill yourself and every other passenger it wouldn't like you said there's not going to be a delay that I didn't even think of it like that Shannon that's like such a good point although I mean who knows maybe he could have like now I'm getting really trigger warning but he could have like shot the co-pilot shot himself and then just like had the plane go or something right yeah, that's that's yeah. Because I was kind of, I guess, spoiler. I was kind of just convinced that it was like a murder suicide type of thing that was done by the pilot. And I think, based on like my reads on the internet late at night, it sounds like a lot of like at least like Malaysian locals do believe that theory. And it's kind mm. of like uh, community fodder and local fodder that that is in fact what happened. But yeah, which by the point. way, they're like, how crazy that if somebody turns off, and I'm sure. I'm sure that they have put protocols into place since 2014 and since this happened, right? You don't spend $155 million on a case like this and not make any sort of change to protocol. Um, But if somebody turns off the transmission, the fact that that plane can just do whatever it wants until it disappears somewhere and then you don't find it, I would just imagine that even if transmission is turned off, you can immediately locate satellites and immediately know what it's Mm -hmm. doing. and you know, I'm, I'm sure that they do stuff like that since this plane disappeared. But that's crazy to me that with one button of turning off the transmission, you can just alley-oop the plane wherever the hell you want it to go and then like crash without people doing anything. Right. Because they knew they knew that the plane was missing and it was still in the air for two hours before it crashed. So like right. they said, this plane is officially missing and it's still flying in the air and they're like, it's missing and I guess we just don't know where the heck it is. Like, what? Like, that's crazy. And and the, the where my mind goes too is like, and this is always something I think about. It's kind of like morbid, but when I'm on flights, like I always think, I understand there's like robust flight paths and like every airline knows which, which other flight is going which way and so you don't crash into another. But it's like the fact that this flight was going rogue for – hours um well we also know what, here right and here let me shen, let me know if you can open this in the message maybe you can put it on your instagram or something but when you look at yeah, the flight maps and these different flight paths that airlines take right like europe is always lit up new york is always lit up because mm. there's so many flights going in and out that area of the indian ocean basically like a complete triangle between india madagascar and australia there's like no flights that go down there right. so oh my god yeah it's like kind of dead space yeah i know there's like a it's kind of like an obtuse trying like oh my god though this is creepy like looking at this like, i know it's, it's so dark right? just it's, like it was when it happened yeah. <laughs> like, yes. yeah that's a i'm yeah i'll put this on my instagram i'll show the flight path um of Malaysian Airlines, as well as just the overall flight map paths um, of all flights. But yeah, uh, what Shannon's saying is just where they were flying, there's there's no planes going 
at all in that area. Yeah, like Singapore. that's what yeah. you you might think, oh my God, from like Madagascar to Australia or from Tanzania to I don't know, Perth, there would be a bunch of flights on that pattern or on that path. And maybe there are, but it it looks like there's specific paths that people choose when they're flying and there's just certain areas of the ocean that really aren't covered. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe with the theory of like if it were in fact a suicide and he killed himself in the plane and that's like a perfect area to just let a plane go on autopilot for hours and hours and hours until ultimately the plane would run out of fuel and crash into the ocean oh my god I have I have chills I have chills (laughs) I know I'm getting freaked out no I'm getting freaked out um I'm gonna go over a couple theories so you know we're, we're, we're talking through you know the the most popular theory so to speak with the captain there were a couple, I guess, red herrings, so to speak, that I'll touch on. There were, so as I mentioned, there was 227 passengers from a multitude of different countries. There were two Iranian citizens who boarded the flight with stolen passports that, you know, we later found out. The theories of the plane being hijacked were, of course, kind of, they focus in on these two citizens simply due to the fact that the passports were fraudulent. And However, let's be honest, there was probably something about the fact that they're Middle Eastern that made a bunch of Americans go, let's go. They're like, 100%. 100%. It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, now that we have two, yeah, Middle Eastern guys with stolen passports, they must, this must be a 9 11 all over again. Um, the theories of the plane being hijacked by these two individuals were later debunked as they were later confirmed to be two friends seeking asylum in perhaps Europe. So, Oh, and also the sketchy thing was that they bought one-way tickets. So like when I first heard that, I was like, oh, they were only in the country for like a week, bought one-way tickets and had stolen passports. I was like, easy. And then it was like, and they were seeking asylum. I was like, oh, egg on my face. I'm the bad guy. (laughs) Like, No, no. I mean, like it's a completely reasonable assumption to make just given I think stolen passports is like super egregious and kind of that's weird behavior. And then coupled with the fact that they had literally been in Malaysia only a week prior to the flight takeoff was even weirder. Um, but I guess what had happened, what people were able to kind of peel back the layers and debunking this theory was that visa requirements had been eased in recent years since 2014 for Iranian nationals traveling to Malaysia specifically. It was apparently, uh, Malaysia was apparently a country that was a popular hub for Iranian tourists, students, and those looking for ways to emigrate to Europe. So they're saying, okay, this is probably like, I shouldn't say it's like a common thing, but it's like, I think people kind of knew like, okay, in order for us to go to Europe, we have to go through Malaysia first. So that coupled with the fact that neither of them had relevant skills to fly a plane or even perform this hijack kind of scenario, further debunked the theory. And apparently Malaysian and American officials studied each and every passenger and came up with no potential leads that they were in fact responsible uh, for this hijacking. What, What do you think, Shannon? Like after you know, all these reasons, do you think there could potentially still be a bit of room for this conspiracy theory to be true? Or do you kind of completely see it as a debunking? No way. The two Iranians? No, I don't think so. I I mean, there's no prior flight experience. And also for me, it's just like, I'm sure there are so many people in the US government who would have loved to pin it on them. And the fact that like, they're not, it's like, no, I, I just don't think that they were. The, the asylum makes sense. And yeah. Yeah, I, I was think, reading too. One of the guys, his mother, I think, he had family in Germany and like people were saying that was actually the reason he was, you know, using these fake passports because he wanted to be reunited. You want to go to Germany. Okay. Wanted to go to Germany. So I think this was actually like, yeah, I'm in agreement with you. I don't think this theory holds anyway. And I think most of the people on the internet are with us. They don't think this, there is any leads to this. Um, There's another theory that the plane was hijacked and taken to a remote island, um, but 
considering the discovery of a few of the plane remains, like we mentioned up top of the episode of like parts of the wing that were found on the coast of Africa, this theory has been deemed highly unlikely. So as a lost fan, Shannon, (laughs) you know, do you think there could be any weight to this? To me, I think, I don't think there necessarily is. I don't know. I'm just a gut reaction kind of girl. Intuitively, this doesn't make sense to me, but I'm curious what you think of this, this theory. Okay, here's where I will plug the Diego Garcia theory. <laughs> yeah, let's hear it. Basically, the one thing I will say is pe- when people are like, oh, the discovery, like parts of the plane have been found. Okay, like a tiny, tiny. And when we say like a part of the wing, I'm not talking like the wing of the plane. That's a yes. big thing. This is like a tiny, maybe like the size of a piece of paper, like yeah, 11 by five. We'll put- it's very <laughs> tiny. And there- I'll put a picture. Yeah, it's, it's really small. And they're like, this was definitely part of the plane. I'm like, bitch says who? Like, that could be anything in the ocean. I just find that crazy. Um, Sorry to interrupt you, but really mm-hmm. quickly, when they were talking about that piece of the plane, like you said, it's like 11 by 5. It's a tiny part. They were like, oh, Boeing later confirmed that it was, in fact, uh, flight flight remains and debris from uh, Flight 370. But it's like, how can you trace a single part of the wing back yeah. to that flight? How does that – How like, scientifically, how, how do you do that? How do you test that? Like there's no QR code that's stamped on each individual, at least that I know of, right? And maybe, maybe there is, but anyway. So I thought that that was strange. Um, and this is a rumor that I heard, but people says that it was confirmed. All all I'm saying is that like I wasn't there with the FBI, mm-hmm. so I don't know. But the pilot, the one who the main pilot who had the majority of years of flight experience, he had that flight simulator at home. And one of the flight simulations he did was almost the exact course where it goes um like that path to San Francisco where it looks mm-hmm. like it's, you know, after they make that first manual yeah, turn like, and then it looks like it's automatic. Like, yeah. That was made down to Diego Garcia and then that flight path was deleted. Now obviously you delete anything like the FBI is going to be able to find it but that was one of the flight paths that he had initially taken on his simulator. Now we'll have to like look that up for sure but that was just something that I saw. Oh that's interesting because I think I'm glad you you saw this theory because I you know, granted, I didn't look through every, like, you know, there's so many theories online, but people were saying in one article I read that there was nothing on his flight simulation path that, like, led us to believe that he was planning this. But, like, that's one source, right? Like, that's a, But that's the thing. Like, I heard that, too. But then other places, I heard this. All I'm going to say is, like, we'll have to do a deeper dive into the Diego Garcia thing because a lot of people were kind of like, I think that, like, this is what happened. I mean, that would make – I mean, I think that would lead – like absolve us of all these questions we had about why it took such a weird turn if he wasn't tr- – was in fact trying to kill himself and everyone on board. Like so there was an intention. Yeah. So let me put this theory out there knowing that it's complete like wackety acidy. Like who knows? We love Let's it. Let's say this pilot, they're like, you have an important passenger like two weeks from now who's going to be on your plane and like we need him for intel or something yeah. and we'll pay you like a squillion Scrooge dollars if you do it. Okay. You're the pilot. So this could make sense. <laughs> I'm so yeah. fucking crazy. Okay. They take off. Everything's good. Transmission goes. He does the manual, you know, maybe he knocks out that yeah, young thing, that co-pilot. He does the manual yeah. turn. That young thing. And then he goes, <laughs> and then he goes, all right, like locking the door. And now the autopilot that I already set to go to Diego Garcia. And then that's why it autopilots like this. And then it starts to go down. And that's the thing. We don't know if it crashed. It could have landed there. 
They take the high profile person. They execute everyone else. The only issue then is you've got an entire plane somewhere. People would probably find it. Then you would have to assume it's a cover up or this could have gone off course and maybe it flew right over Diego Garcia and people shot it down because they saw an enemy aircraft in the space and they didn't know what it was. So then the government covers up the fact that they accidentally saw, like shot down a civilian plane. So it's, it's, I like that you brought that up. Well, I don't love like, that's, hor- that's a horrifying <laughs> theory, but like, I think that and not a horrifying that like it's wrong. It's just like, that's a fucking scary thought. Um, yeah. But it's interesting that you bring up the like, the civilian plane being shot down because that actually did happen to a Malaysian airline flight a couple of years later. Um, right. It was a Ukrainian um, army, I think shot down. I don't want to get this wrong. Um, a Malaysian airline flight. And they didn't realize it was a civilian passenger flight until it was Do we know how like the stock of the airline is doing? Is there anyone who takes like, are they still around? Yeah. So no, they're not. They, um, okay. okay, I, I, I misspoke. So Malaysian airlines flight 17, uh, was a scheduled passenger flight from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur. So it seems like Kuala Lumpur is a bit, uh, jinx when it comes to Malaysian airlines flights and it was shot down by Russian controlled forces. Um, so that happened, that happened in 2000. Oh my God. That happened literally a couple months after in July. And this, the flight that we're talking about was in March. So they had horrible PR and I think they were later absolved by the uh, Malaysian government. They like completely had it there because like, obviously it was horrible PR and they were like, we can't, no one's going to fly this anymore. So I think it, it shut down. It, all I'm saying is if, if I ever go to Malaysia, I'm taking a boat. <laughs> yeah, <For> sure. <laughs> and I'm not going to Kuala Lumpur. Like I'm not doing that. It's, there's too much um, going on that. It, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good on that. Um, okay. Another theory that we have Okay. Is a crew hijacking, which is what we've said. I I think okay. So this this is what I've read on Reddit. This but is don't you just said. wonder like for what? Like for what? Just so you guys could all die? Like right? And it's like he <laughs> apparently like there was over. I read there were over 170 interviews that the Malaysian officials conducted over this pilots between his friends, his family, even like adjacent acquaintances, nothing egregious or sensitive or bizarre came up out of these interviews. And I did read, this is what I was kind of referring to um, earlier in the episode about people like the Malaysian local fodder is someone wrote in Reddit, they said a pilot suicide is the general consensus. Um, Oh, excuse me, not in the Malaysian local fodder, in the aviation community. They said a pilot suicide is the general consensus in the aviation community. It's the only thing that could have gone wrong that fits all the facts. There is nothing on the plane that could have failed in a way to cause the loss of all communications, yet still allow the aircraft to fly for as long as it did. Otherwise, we're looking at astronomically small chances of simultaneous multiple system failures or a massive international multi-government cover-up. Oh, God, I just got chills about the multi-international governmental cover-up. What do you make of that? I just, okay... The idea of it being a that's the thing. I really wish I knew more about planes. I really do. Because like if a pilot suicide to me, I just feel like there would be flight attendants and staff who are trained to place emergency calls if something goes wrong or at least mm-hmm. put something in autopilot. Like I don't know. I just I don't know. And that's the thing. If it is a huge government cover up, what are they what are they even covering up? Right. And a whole like log of all the passengers, you know, they looked at each and every single one, which is how they identified the Iranian um, passengers with the stolen passports, et cetera. It's like, why, why go through all this trouble 
unless you were trying to like, there was a specific person you were trying to take down on the flight or if you yourself were trying to off yourself. There was the patent rumor. Did you hear about that? No, let's hear it. One of the passengers on the plane, or it might have been a group of them on the plane, allegedly. Now, these are just rumors. um, Mm -hmm. They had a patent for an invention and somebody big and famous, I'm forgetting the name, but like someone with all this money and power wanted the patent for the last like three years and they wouldn't part with it. And a few days after the plane crash, it ended up in the hands of like the rich and powerful people. Oh my God, that reminds I, me I of mean, them. obviously I'm giving you like the, okay. the, I don't, I need to look it up, but there was like some sort of patent for an invention that changed hands after this flight disappeared. Interesting. It kind of reminds me of, um, did you watch the dropout Elizabeth Holmes with, um, yeah. Breed? yeah. And like, there was that whole drama, like with the patent and her, um, her neighbor. It just made me think of that, but that's an interesting, that's an interesting take. And it's like, how can you not with, when there's so much people may shit on us for like giving even like holding space for some of these like wild and wacky conspiracy theories, but how can you not when there is literally no rhyme or reason or like a plane just vanishes out of thin air and so many lives were lost. And like, how do you not look into every potential theory with like a huge microscope when there is like just so much unknown? I think this is what I've like talked about a few times on my podcast, but I love like, even when I was a little kid, like when I was 12, I would like at 9 PM, I would watch 40 hours mystery on Saturday nights. And some of my favorite like episodes were the like missing still when like the case is still unsolved. And I think a lot of people, for a lot of people that's frustrating because they're like, we don't get any conclusive, like, like a breath of like, okay, this has been solved. Like those are the things that kind of keep me up at night and keep me interested. And I think there are cases like like Maura Murray or Bryceless Pisces where they literally vanish out of thin air with no trace. And it's there's so many things that are picked apart about these individuals' lives. Like Maura Murray, for example, are you familiar with that case? No. I, uh, so, I'm not much of a true crime girly other than the big ones. Yeah. So this one, I think this, without getting into too much of the details, like, and I might misspeak a bit because I'm not like super, super um, knowledgeable of, like the facts. But I think high level, she was a young girl in college. She had a boyfriend. She had been going through a lot of um, kind of truancies or like delinquencies in like her campus. I think she was almost about to be maybe even expelled or maybe suspended for some severe, I think maybe cheating scandal or, or something to that degree. So she was going on like with a lot of turmoil like in her professional like school world. And then I think her and her boyfriend were having a bit of – issues so she took her car she went to like a liquor store got some beer bottles uh and they found her car just stranded on like the side of the road it looks like the alcohol had been a bit consumed but she they found her car but nothing else and they still haven't found her to this day but there's a lot of suspicion on like well what was she going through in her personal life that even led her to leave campus that night like could she have been meeting someone like I think the path in which her her car was driving. She, it was toward a, an ice, a location where her parents were like, oh, she's pretty familiar with that area. Maybe she was going there to escape. And she mm. didn't, t- I think she was keeping like everything that was going on at school kind of hidden from her parents. And again, if you guys are, if, if you guys are like really knowledgeable about this case, I'm, I'm probably watching a lot of stuff about like the specifics, but there was a lot of things going on personally that no one knew about. So I guess my point is like bringing it back to this case is like, her life was very much dissected of, okay, well, could she have potentially been suicidal? Maybe she like took her own life because of all this drama going on at school, or maybe her boyfriend and her were having issues, or was she maybe meeting a different guy that wasn't her boyfriend? Um, But how could you not kind of like pick apart 
these things when there's just so much ambiguity and there's lives that are lost or disappeared or missing that we still can't make sense of. Yeah. And that's the thing, like they're missing, which means that they're dug into even more. So like, let's say you are this powerful person who now owns the patent from one of these people on the plane. (laughs) It's a lot of keys. Um, you would be an idiot to do that. You wouldn't want to do it. Instead, you would want to have the plane shot down or you would want mm-hmm. to have the owner of the patent suicide themselves. I'm getting a little Clinton body count over here, you know, or even Let's hit with it. a car yeah. because it's, instead having an entire plane goes mi- going missing, now you have like two idiots talking about it on a podcast nine years later, you know, like more people mm-hmm. are looking into this now more than ever. So I, I feel like that would lead all of the things saying, oh, well, they wanted to get someone on the plane. Well, probably not because there's like a not to be weird, but like there's an easier way to kill people than having yes. an entire plane go missing. And now everybody's looking into it, you know? Right. It's it's like, why go through all of this hoopla? And there's so many governmental regulations and, you know, tri- there's transmissions and there's people from many different countries. Like, why go through all this so trouble? What is, Christy, how is it we've been talking about this for 47 minutes and we haven't figured it out yet? It's I a know. real nail biter. <laughs> <laughs> Very confusing. You know, we're two incredibly smart, you know, intelligent intelligent people. I don't know, but but okay, it's- but doesn't that make you want to scr- and if I was one of the people where one of my family members was in that plane, right. like I wouldn't be able to sleep at night. Like Like how? How? Like this is something that nobody has an answer for. And what I really hate too is that some people who are like poo-poo about conspiracy theories, if you talk about it, they're like, it's so rude to talk about the most likely thing is blah, blah, blah. And it's like, there is no most likely for this. There is none. So like everything can be on the table. And that's why there are so many conspiracies around or theories around it because you cannot make sense of something that is so – egregiously just bizarre yeah Yeah. like you have to your mind just has to go to every single avenue of what happened like I was saying we have we were dissecting Mara Murray's life we were dissecting every possible scenario because you have to in situations like this when over 200 lives were lost and I feel like I was looking at when I was doing like the research and looking at articles and stuff it's really heartbreaking I'm sure you came across like similar ones where like you have so many families who have no answers and to us it's you know at the end of the day, it's an entertainment. We're like, we're just talking about it, speculating on our own, based on our own understanding of high levelly what happened. But like, there are so many lives that were that were lost. And like you said, these are the most tragic. I mean, obviously, tra- tragedy is all relative, but I think it's like, it's the most tragic when someone dies and you still don't know what happened to them, whether the person goes missing, whether the plane vanishes. It's there's no conclusive evidence or nothing to shut the book. There's nothing to like wrap it up in a bow. And that's what makes it so mind boggling and frustrating. Yeah. But By the way, you can't hear my heat whistling, can you? No. Okay, good, good. It's no. like a high pitched thing. Okay. Um <laughs> if I was if I was one of those members too, like I would can we also talk about the lost of it all? Like how crazy that there was a entire TV show about a flight going missing like and then a flight went missing so I mean that's another theory too that they're they're on an island somewhere so can you tell for those who don't listen didn't watch Lost including myself how did the show I know people were really so two questions how did the show end up like ending? Just like what happened? And two, were you really happy or really like uh, unhappy with the ending? Because I know I remember in college, my roommates were all talking about it and they were so 
people were, some people were really pissed about it. Like this ending was bullshit. <laughs> but some people were like, no, I liked how they ended it. It was like a really nuanced, subtle, interesting way. So curious to hear both of your thoughts on both those questions. I think the ending worked. Basically, Lost is a show where they start off with a flight, oceanic flight, something, something. And you know what? I think it's like from Hawaii to no, ah, whatever. It's somewhere. It's an oceanic flight. And um, Tokyo, I forget. It's going somewhere. It crashes. And it's a huge mystery disappearance. And people you know, on land, on like regular world are like, oh my God, we never found out. Some people are like still looking for people mm-hmm. who have disappeared and like they have to be there somewhere. And it's this mystery island that they're a part of and everything on the island is weird. Like it turns out it's been used for military experiments and there's some people there and like magic properties of the island. And then some of the folks end up going back home, getting wow. off the island Oh my God, it's been a while since I watched it, but I think there was like a special submarine that they got on and like the submarine was able to take you to the real, like it was, it was a hard to get to island, but then there was also like a huge, like military ship that was able to get to the island. I don't know. I think the island like disguised itself or it like moved around or like some shit like that. Sure, sure. And then something happens at the end and they're like. The island ended up being like purgatory or heaven. But to be honest, yeah, that was it. That was it. They did a lot of like time lapse things, which, by the way, the minute any TV show is like, and now we're flash forwarding to the future and going back in time and there's parallel universes. I'm like, okay, like I'm done. I can't. (laughs) I'm here to entertain myself. Like I can't think too hard. So as you can tell, I really didn't recollect that much about it after we started time hopping. No, but I think all these theories that you were saying that were happening, like everything that was happening in Lost, like it's it kind of parallels what people are speculating. Like, okay, getting people were saying, okay, it could have gotten sucked into a black hole, the abduction by aliens, hijacked remotely by cyber criminals that gained access to flight controls. Um, out of all those crazy, insane, nutty, nutty theories that people deem as like nutty, do you take any away in those? Those three, the black hole aliens are like hijacked remotely by cyber criminals i guess maybe hijack would be like my number one thing i just feel like i don't know what i'm also so i'm just so curious about like when the search happened because the minute that plane lands i'm sure it sinks pretty quick and it starts going to the bottom yes. so especially at that like the the the, the speed like yeah right? so that I guess also even those, yeah But that confuses me too. And then like two months later, a private company is like, now we're going to find it. I'm like, that shit is on the ocean floor somewhere if it, if it is there. So like, it's not, I don't know. You know how they're like, you have 24 hours when somebody goes missing and that's when you're supposed to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I wonder like how soon they were able to know from the satellite where the plane was. Cause I think it wasn't until weeks after that they even had satellite images knowing what part of the ocean it could have been on. Right. I hope we find out in our lifetime. I really do. I know. It's one of those, like, it's a huge head scratcher for me. And I always used to joke, like, growing up, like, if I could find one thing, it would be like, who killed John Bonnet Ramsey? But I know that's coming a bit more mainstream. And I'm like, no, now it's turned into what happened to Malaysian Airlines Flight 370. Who um, do you think killed John Bonnet Ramsey? Oh, okay. This is going to be a hot take. Because okay. I know ever since, I remember when the 20 year anniversary came out in uh, recently, it was like 2019 or something. There are all these documentaries that came out from CBS. And there was one particular documentary that I think Rose garnered the most attention from like the public who hadn't been familiar with the case before. Did and you say the brother? Like, I feel like everyone yes. says the brother. Yeah. Everyone says the brother. There is um 
I haven't even gone on record on the podcast and saying this because I feel like this is a controversial Ooh. thing, what I'm going to say. But there was a lot of hoopla about the brother, Bro- uh, Brock. No. Hold on. Yeah, I heard, like, the brother and then the mom, like, covered it up. Yeah, so people say Burke wasn't Brock. Her brother, Burke, she was eating pineapple with a bowl of milk. And when the authorities are coming. murderer. Like, literally disgusting. Like, this is what they used to eat (laughs) in the 90s, apparently, in Boulder, Colorado. Because they found when the authorities came in. Like, pineapple cereal? Okay. Yes, disgusting. (laughs) So when the cops came, there was a bowl of pineapples in milk. And JonBenet's thumbprint or like handprint was on the bowl and theories basically circulated 20 years later that Brock got upset that she tried to eat his pineapple bowl. And the reason, sorry, the reason the pineapple is so significant is because that night it was Christmas Eve and the family had come home from a Christmas Eve party and JonBenet had allegedly based on the, the parents uh, documentation said that they had come back from the Christmas party. John Bonet was asleep in the backseat. They grabbed her, scooped her up and put her right in her bed. But when they did an autopsy on her body, there was a uh, pineapple found in her digestive system. And the way it was in her digestive tract, it was such that she had to have eaten pineapple. Like basically it debunked the entire allegation yeah. that her parents were saying that they took her straight to bed because of the, this, the timeline of when the pineapple was in her dig- digestion. So Those dirty parents. Okay. Cute. I'm like hooked. Yes. So the pineapple thing was a huge, like, and they've never explained that. It's like, well, and and they later confirmed there wasn't pineapple at the Christmas party. So it's not like, oh, she consumed at the very end of the party. The parents brought her home straight to bed. There was no pineapple given at the, at the party. So she must have ingested it sometime between when she was found dead to when they brought her home. So people say that John Bonet, she reached for, because they had found that pineapple, right, on the kitchen counter that next morning. Her fan brand was on it. They think that Brock got pissed. Burke. God, I keep calling him Brock. Burke got pissed that his little sister, who has all this attention, who's a beauty pageant, like the star of the family, is now trying to eat his his midnight snack. So he grabbed, and I forgot exactly what they alleged to be the murder weapon. It wasn't a hammer, but it was something very heavy. Maybe it was a remote or something. Not a remote, but something heavier that he chucked up JonBenet's head and, and rendered her unconscious. And the mother got really scared because she thought her son accidentally killed her daughter so then basically it was a whole parent cover-up to protect the son that's like the widespread theory yeah um, of what people think happened the general public who doesn't read and understand the, the case like i do so i've read i read this book made by the lead detective on the case and there were oh i'm gonna get into a fucking rabbit hole but <laughs> prior to john benet dying the maid at the house said that John Bonet would not only wet her bed, which often younger kids do, but she, the maid would find like um, like feces in her bed, in John Bonet's <gasps> bed. And oftentimes that's indication of someone being molested because you basically want to make yourself, sorry, trigger warning, like you basically want to make yourself appear unattractive to your molester. So you, you, you poop yourself in the bed. So when the maid brought that up, people were really weirded out. Like, okay, well, that's a really weird behavior for someone of her age. Wetting the bed is one thing, but you know, you're pooping your bed. So that's weird. So there were a lot of allegations made that perhaps like she was being molested. Again, this is all alleged. Like this is just all based on what I read in theories. Yeah. But, and when they did find her body, there were, uh, she had been penetrated by something like, <gasps> uh, with like a foreign object. Like her, her vagina was such that it had, there was some, something going on there, uh, ahead of her death. Oh so there's been a lot of theories that her perhaps 
her dad was molesting her. That's never been confirmed, right? But these are just like things that were happening leading up to the death, right? So my theory is that John Bonet, her mother was just getting, I think her mom was maybe just going through, not even postpartum because John Bonet wasn't a, a baby, but like I think her mother was just tired of like just a tired mom, which like I, I get it. And mm-hmm. I think John Bonet continuing to wet her bed got her mother really frustrated. And I think she thought she put John Bonet to bed. She was ready to go home. I mean, sorry, ready to go to bed. And then she realized John Bonet had wet her bed again and she was sick of it. So she dragged John Bonet. This is what the lead detective in the case in the book I read. This is his theory. He thinks that she dragged John Bonet out of bed and got really aggressive with her in the bathroom and hit her against the, the, the tub and it basically like shattered, like it was blunt force trauma to John Bonet's head, to her skull. And I think, uh, Patsy, her mom, thought that she had killed John Bonet. So she staged this like this cover-up of some sorts to say, oh, you know, then she put this pitter in this area. And the area where they found her body, and I'm really going down a rabbit hole. The area where they found her body, the dad actually found her. She was missing, right? There was a ransom letter. They called the authorities. The authorities came. They're like, John Bonet's missing. They want us to give her ransom, give the kidnappers want us to give them ransom money so we can have our daughter back. Little did they know that John Bonet was already dead in their home right so the cops fucking it was christmas day so it was all these junior cops that were working the case that day the junior cops were like why don't you just go and they lived in a huge mansion right go go find john bonnet try and find her so the dad and they had invited all these fucking friends over that morning because they were so in distress so they were fucking up the crime scene left and right contaminating it all over the place right so the cops were like go and try and find your daughter so john ramsey went to this area of the home where like it would be nearly impossible for like a random person coming into the home and intruder knowing where they found her body. The dad found her body in this kind of cellar area of their home. And she had the garret around her neck and she had been strangled. And it was, she had already been dead at that point for a couple hours. But I think that Patsy staged the entire thing. Another thing that was really weird to me was that Patsy was dressed in her same clothes as the Christmas party when the authorities came into the home the next morning when she found the ransom letter. Why would she be dressed in the same clothes from the night before? Well, first of all, sometimes you want to repeat a good outfit if you're seeing, you know, different pairs of people. <laughs> you said it, not me. Totally but, agree. Um, but wait, but then how if the mom killed John Bonet, why was pineapple how was pineapple in her throat and how was her vagina penetrated? So the pineapple thing is is weird. I think that just proves to me. I don't think it has anything. It could potentially have something to do with Burke, but I think that they just fed her. Like, I think them saying that she was asleep when they put her to bed was a lie. Like, I think that was just a miss in their statement. Like, she came home and had some pineapple. Yes. Although her handprint was on his bowl, so maybe yeah. she had pineapple yeah. out of his bowl and he didn't maybe. care. And I think there was, there was less weight to, like, the, you know – Burke hitting her or something and with blunt force I think that she she just the whole thing of her being asleep when they go home was just like that was just a gap in their story and I think that she just in in terms of like the penetration that that still really scares me like I don't understand that and is that that, like widely talked like I said I'm not super into true crime but like I know the mm -hmm. John Bonet thing is that talked about that penetration thing yeah I I think people who are pretty into in with the case understand and there was actually felt like DNA found that didn't belong to Patsy or John or Burke on her underwear. And so there was also like, there was also like, okay, well then that could be the perpetrator, but people were saying, oh, well maybe who's to say it wasn't someone who like in the manufacturing in the factory, that's like someone's DNA when they were creating the underwear, maybe their sweat came off and jumped up like that. 
that's not necessarily no, like a lot then that of, would be on like everyone's stuff because everyone's yeah. clothes is yeah and it was such a small amount of dna found on the underwear that they but that's ultimately why because there was a lot of suspicion right around her parents when the when the murder happened but whose dna the, whose dna was on who, her undies exa- exactly but that was the only way that they were able to absolve the parents of any suspicion because of that dna on the underwear Oh, so they can't figure out whose DNA it is. They just know it's not a Correct. match with the parents. Correct. And they still haven't been able to find out whose DNA it was. Oh, I'm about to, like, become a true crime girl. <laughs> oh. Oh, my God. No, no. I, I literally, like, this is my pa- – like, outside of celebrity pop culture, like, I – that case is, like, we go on about, like, missing persons. There's one, like, Ryan Stuka and Bryceless Pieces. And Bryceless Pieces, his parents literally live, like, right – I mean, I don't know them, but, like – I listened to it on Crime Junkie this episode and like he was driving back from Sacramento um, from up north down to South Orange County. Literally his parents lived like the city over where I did and he was under the influence of a lot of drugs before he had gone missing but he kept basically he was driving down the down the road down the five and his parents kept calling him. He's like yeah I'm coming home and they would he would just chill like on the five on the side of the highway and like cops ended up intervening but then he just like he vanished like we still don't know where he is. Like there's just like so many, there's so many cases that literally bug the shit out of me when we don't know where these people are. Like the Maura Murray's when her car was just found. Like, yeah, it's, and it's, it's hard. Cause I know that there's like, there's that weird ethical issue of like, these are real people. I just, it's, it's the same way I feel about celebrities. I'm like, I wish I could talk about this and have people related to it. Never hear it. Cause I never want to like upset them or do anything like that. But also like there have been some times where in, people talking about things online you know like somebody offers up a clue or something that you might not have known about otherwise of course you never want to be invasive and like do anything that's shitty but like it is there's just so much weird stuff and like when people just go missing and just disappear you're like what like what the hell happened what happened yeah i I agree. And I, I think it's, there's like a fine line because I think a lot of like, I think with like the serial case, right? Like Heyman Lee's um, family did not want the case to be reopened. Like they were very okay uh. with the verdict that Adnan Syed did in fact kill their daughter and their sister and everything. So it's like, it's very traumatic having to watch the entire, like relive the traumatic experience for a second time and have everyone in the world have an opinion about it. And then there's like the other cases where like the Adnan Syed, whether or not you think he's guilty or innocent, we can all agree on the fact that it's very traumatic for her family to have to go through it and like being resounded in a verdict and then having it be uh, up, uplifted and having him be, be absolved of the crime. That's really traumatic. And then uh, if we think about just, I think, like my favorite murder, like they've been able to shine a huge light on like the reason we were able to find out who the Golden State Killer was because they shone a lot of light on like Michelle McNamara who ended up creating the, the book I'll Be McNamara? Yeah, that's her name. She's the author. Yeah, Michelle McNamara. Oh. She spent, it was her life's, Patton Oswald's wife she actually passed away due to stress from creating this book but she's the reason why they were able to find out who the killer was decades later because of my favorite murder shining such a light on this case that no one fucking knew about because everyone knew about the night stalker everyone knew about you know the green river killer no one knew about the golden state killer until they shone a light on it through the podcast michelle's book got a lot of spotlight and they found the killer through dna and ancestry.com oh my god this is crazy you're, that's what you're like. You're like everyone knows these killers. So I'm like never heard of those two before, <laughs> yeah. but okay. Yeah, the, the night stalker is. It's all like I swear, California and yes. uh, Washington. Dark, 
dark, dark, dark. And I love it because my dad grew up in LA and he, he's like, no, I remember the Night Stalker. Like he would target specifically Asian people in yellow houses. And he, he would, he would terrorize like the neighborhood, the neighborhood that my dad lived in. And they said, yeah, we remember growing up, we would have to make sure our, our windows were locked. Like even it was scoldering hot, like in the summertime, we had to shut it because we were scared. He was, cause he would just, there were no ring cameras back then. He would just go through like an open door or go through a window that was still unlocked, like things like that. So I've been, oh, I could go on. Can you tell this is my passion? Probably even more than celebrity. <laughs> celebrity pop culture. I'm obsessed. No, Shan, I'm going to get you into it. I'm going to send you the Bryceless Pieces case. That one, I would say out of everything, that one fucks with me the most just because he was so clearly under distress and his parents were so trying to get him back home and he refused to move from the highway and he goes missing and no one knows. I think he actually is like living somewhere on the Pacific Northwest. He has like bright red hair, really tall. He's very difficult to like miss. I think he went through some mental psychiatric break and we can't find him again. But anyways, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff with cases that I got to get you Like I have looked at some, although I feel like, I was going to say, I feel like I've looked at the cases that are conspiracy adjacent, although I guess all true crime is like the Kanika Jenkins case or the... Elisa Lamb case yes. with like the elevator in the hotel. Yes. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on that? Dude, who the hell like the Elisa Lamb case, she was a woman and she was staying at Hotel Cecil, was that it? Mm-hmm. And in, um, in LA. And like she was just acting very erratic, and there's video footage mm-hmm. of her frantically pressing elevator buttons. But the thing is, her body ended up being found in one of the water tanks mm-hmm. on the roof mm-hmm. of the hotel that you have to climb a ladder to get onto the mm-hmm. roof, by the way. Then you have to climb a ladder to get into the water tank, push the heavy lid open, nope. and then go in. And some people are like, she was on drugs, she was acting erratic. I, how do you does acting erratic give you super strength to be able to like lift that lid like who I don't know I just can't imagine there are so many stories too of people who have um and I know we're like we're so far off topic right now but no I love it anyway though. like this is where so I many stories of people who um they say have committed suicide by going in trash shoots down luxury buildings this has happened like in luxury buildings in new york and chicago and i'm always like that's a murder like no matter how and they're like well the person was drunk so they could have done that i'm like yeah i've been drunk too and i've never been drunk enough to say let me put my entire body in this trash shoot and slide down it so like there's just so much weird stuff yeah i hope when we die we get to find out i know it's like i just want to talk to these people and be like what happened I, That's why uh, Aphrodite, celebrity psychic, like when he does yes. true crime psychic readings. And by the way, he not to like at all weird, but like he nailed it with the Idaho State person. And um, he's well, he's always correct about celebrities. He thought that it was a man who had been stalking out the place, and like he knew that the day after the man was like traveling across the country. And then it comes out weeks later that like, yeah, he was, wasn't, didn't he drive to like Pennsylvania with his father or something? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And like, he, he just, I feel like he's always correct about everything. So to me, like I, I trust him with my life. I really enjoy that. That was like kind of like a tech, that's like an old school episode. I feel like you guys recorded an episode, like I think at the beginning when you started your puppet, that was a really good yeah. one. I'll, I'll plug it in the show notes if you guys want to listen. Um, yeah. I would love to have an episode with him about these like specific missing and vanished 
cases because they're just... Yeah, check out his episode for like the true crime readings he's done and stuff. Yeah. Oh my God, I I definitely will. So as we wrap up, Shannon, I want to hear about your favorite conspiracy theories. Like whether it's true crime adjacent, if it's royals adjacent, if it's uh, Clinton body count adjacent. Like what what are a few you can throw out there? There's a lot that I like. Um, I I like some of the fun mythological ones, like people who believe in Atlantis. When you look mm-hmm. at some of the underwater ruins and the submerged, uh, honestly, like markings and carvings that exist underwater, it's really hard to imagine that nothing ever happened there. I think that's really interesting. I don't believe in hollow earth, but I just love looking up images of it. This idea that there's like Agartha, this complete paradise. And instead of a hot magma core, there's a tiny sun inside of our earth and there's like a second world in the core. So, and you access it through the North and the South poles. That's like a hole to get to hollow earth. So I think like that's a really cool idea. Um, And then I'm also interested too in different i want to do an episode down the road about um conspiracy theories about food just the way that you know they make apples so big now like that's not the way an apple grows in the wild and the way that anytime there's like all of these gums and oils that are put into like i was buying almond milk today and looking at the ingredients versus all of these different and i bought one with the fewest amount of gums in it but there's so many different gums and oils that are put in and i want to do an episode on this theory that certain foods that you eat in the U.S. versus Europe are different. Like everybody always says, I went to Europe and I ate bread and pasta and I lost weight. Yes. And I was out with this guy like months ago and he told me that a friend of his is allergic to peppers and celery, but he can eat them in Europe but not in the U.S. So basically, I just think that there's a lot of weird stuff that happens in the food industry. And like, technically, it would fall under the category of a conspiracy theory, because if we don't know what we eat and we're not sure where it's coming from and how it's being sprayed and how it's being modified, um, I don't know. I just wonder why our food is so different than food everywhere else in the world. Yeah, I think that's such a common thing people say or experience when they go to Europe. Like, oh, I'm gluten-free here, but when I go to Italy, then I can eat all the pasta and pizza to my liking. And I think to a degree, if so many people are experiencing that, then there has to be some reason why. And I I remember when I studied abroad in Italy, I definitely, all I ate was carbs and I definitely came back a few pounds LBS, LBS lighter. I think there's something to that. When do you This is actually a good question for you. How are you, I think it's more like if we're pivoting more to like your podcast direction, this is a good segue of you're kind of like melding. You kind of did like a little bit of a reband and refresh, even from like a color scheming perspective and like the branding and marketing. So with that refresh, you're kind of doing a bit more of like a wider scope. So you've covered a lot of different things from blind items to celebrity pop culture to now conspiracy theories. Do you see... Where do you think your interest is like kind of more or less lying as the podcast evolves? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always interested in celebrity stuff and drama. I think I'm just all I think Fluently Forward kind of started and celebrities was the focus and it still will be the main focus. But I'm really interested in like, if this, then that, you know, what else could be? Here's something that people think are happening. But what are the blind items, the rumors, yeah. the facts and the theories that could lead to other answers? So you could use that applying to pop culture when you talk about bearding or celebrity PR relationships mm-hmm. or photoshopping your body, but then selling people a weight loss book when you don't even have the body that you're trying to make money off of. Or you could talk about that when it comes to um, 
conspiracy theories, right? Like the government said that this happened, but like everyone says that the food is making them feel different. So when I think of Fluently Forward, I just think of like a trending topic and then looking at blind items, rumor, gossip, and theory to say, is this the, you know, what they're telling us, is that the real answer or could other solutions also exist? And we should like look into that. You're kind of like marrying marrying it all together I've noticed in episodes too like it doesn't need to just be celebrity like blind items you can they're all kind of interwoven into one another which is why I really think your show has generated so much success because you're pulling towards things that one you kind of feel like no one else is thinking about but like your topics are so niche and that's why like I loved and I always take it back to that ocean episode like that was something I had never thought about before (laughs) the one that scared you it's no like I I remember I slapped you like that night and I was like I'm actually scared and I don't get scared easily (laughs) like I'm listening to this before I go to bed and I have like full body chills right now and I honestly thought it was one of my favorite episodes of yours and it was never something I would have even thought I would be interested in but the way that you discussed it and the way that you were kind of able to interweave like certain theories on why they're probable actually and like why the ocean is such a like we have a lot of assurance over what's in space because we've been to space multiple times ever since the 70s but now here we are in ocean we have so much yet to discover and it comprises the majority of earth so it just it really got me you know in my noggin of like god what else is there that we just, I have no understanding or even like understood that I could have an understanding of the ocean it never even crossed my mind so I I think that's why your show has seen like so much success I said like you're like such a trailblazer I feel like you've grown so much in the past year my other question to you is um now that you've kind of like done this transition to doing this full-time like how has just like working in corporate America and like doing this like what is that shift like just personally from my experience I've always been curious about that because I find so much stability in my full-time job but at the same time it's I'm not like passionate about accounting. I'm sure you're never passionate about like <laughs> marketing, but like how have you seen like your lifestyle take a shift as you've made this like huge life transition? It's cool. It's just, you got to work for yourself, you know? So like, you know, you and I were recording this on a Saturday and I recorded another episode earlier today because I was sick this past week. So like I couldn't do something for a couple days, but then Saturday and Sunday can become your work day, but then maybe you take off on a Wednesday. So it's really nice to have the freedom and flexibility. The only thing is, like I said to you earlier, it's like my job is myself and it like sometimes I get sick of me, you know, like when you're listening to an episode and you've already you're going through editing it for the third time and you're like, oh, my God, like I hate the sound of my voice. I hate what I'm saying. Like all of it's awful. But, you know, I'm just really happy that I'm able to do it. Who knows how long it will last for. But so far, it's like a dream. So I love it. Yeah. No, I'm so I'm so excited to see your success. And I one person told me this when I was just like even making the move from my last job to this job. And it's like if you can't and I think this applies not even to just corporate world, but like life in general, specifically if we make huge changes, like the one that you've just, you know, gone through yourself. It's like if we're not gonna take a risk now, then like when will you take a risk? You're not seventy two years old with your life behind you. Like you're so early on in your life. Like this is the time, this is the space, like life is moving digitally. Like you're at the center of it. So I think you're totally like in the right space and not to get all mushy, but I'm like, I totally look up to you to like what you've done, like how you've been able to grow so quickly, like how you're unapologetically like yourself on your, like, I'm not even on TikTok, but when I do go on TikTok, it's typically just to look at your shit. <laughs> Cause I'm like, Oh, like what does Shannon think about this? I'll just like, log on to TikTok and just watch. I'm like, all right, now I can log off the app. But I just like really ex- respect everything that you've kind of created and like, the fact that you even had me on your show when I had like two episodes out and like I tagged you and like I told this to Tori too. I'm like, 
I just tagged the two of you randomly because I like listened to your show and I'm like, there's no way they're going to see this. And like, you asked me to be on your show. I'm like, moi? Like, it was just <laughs> such a cool thing, you know? And like, I'm glad we've created this community of like podcasters that can, I don't know, we can connect with and just talk about this stuff. Not to get yeah, mushy, but you it. know what I mean? It's not, it's sweet. And you make such great stuff too. It's like, you, that's the fun thing about podcasting. I remember when I was like listening to podcasts, I would listen and I would be like, damn it like if only this podcaster would acknowledge me like I know that we would be good friends and then that's the fun thing about anytime anyone starts a podcast dude I'll go on anyone's and like you really get to know someone talking for an hour and like Mm -hmm. you know hopefully we'll be seeing each other like this spring it's just fun it's like a cool way to connect to each other because the internet sometimes sucks ass but the great part of it is that you are able to like really find like-minded people and um I encourage everyone just like if there's someone that you like online and they live near you just reach out to them and be like let's hang out because that's how I've made a lot of my friends so it's no always I worth know it. I love that um yeah and I'm real excited we're like doing this like podcaster meetup in in April and it's gonna be in everything of the sort of and it's I just feel like I know all you guys even though like I've only met you guys virtually it's like when I meet you in person it's not gonna be weird because we've we've like quote unquote known each other for like over, I mean, almost a year at this point. And it's yeah. you know, very thankful for, for you, this community, what we've created. Very proud of you. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me on. And I'm excited yeah. for you to get into your true crime era and do some episodes about that. Yeah. I'm going to have you next time I do a true crime episode, I'm going to have you do, I'm going to assign you homework ahead of the episode. Like yes. I did with this one, Shannon, watch a 13 minute video just so we can lead the discussion. So we have each have a both bit of a knowledge and we can talk about it. So I'll have you on again for sure. Yes, I love it. Yeah, give me the homework. Trust me. I will like I'll watch hours of stuff because it's always intriguing to me. I know I felt badly. I'm like, oh, I'm gonna give this bitch homework, but it's fine. She'll appreciate it. But thank you so much, Shannon. Um, I'm not even gonna say where can they find you because everyone knows what they are, but regardless, I'll I'll plug your TikTok, your Instagram, your links to your podcast on the show notes if you just happen to not know who he is, who who Shannon is, but I know you guys all know. So um thank you so much for coming on my show. Thanks, Christy. Bye. All right, let's give a quick five-star reviewer shout-out to WonderKid3335. Thank you for saying that I feel like your BFF. You are my BFF because you left me a five-star review. Thank you to Sarah E. Zamora and Katrina S.A. The two of you literally are like my BFFs. I know you guys are always in my DMs. We're always conversing. You guys send me funny shit. The both of you are everything of the sort. So I appreciate the both of you more than you know. Thank you guys so much for listening to today's episode. You know where to find me at Xnozal on Instagram, all the things. I'll post everything in Shannon's stuff on the show notes. Have a good week. Bye. 